0: back to the nothing but sports podcast this is episode 71 i have not recorded for a while i tried to record last week had a good episode but then my software and computer sort of corrupted so that's um that's unfortunate but uh we're back episode 71 i've got three um three things to talk about today we're gonna talk about the giants and their draft coming up on thursday uh debo samuel requesting a trade from the 49ers And then we're going to look at the NBA playoffs. I did a whole prediction episode last week that never got out. But um, let's start with the Giants drafting. So the Giants have the 5th and 7th overall pick in the draft. And they have a lot of options here. Um, The Giants need a lot of help. (laughs) They need a lot of help. They need help everywhere you can think of. They need pass rushing. They need offensive line help. They need help in the secondary. But... The main thing that the Giants, in my opinion, need to sort out is the offensive line. We've been saying it for six or seven, eight plus years now at this point. They have consistently been bottom in the league when it comes to pass protecting, all that stuff, giving up sacks. So they need an offensive offensive line help. And being, have two picks in the top 10, I am not opposed to taking two offensive linemen if we really need to, because there's a lot of good offensive linemen in this draft, the big one I'm looking at, as I'm hoping he can fall to us with the uh, with the fifth pick, is Evan Neal. Now, he might go number three, because uh, I think Aiden Hutchinson and Walker are locked in at one and two. So I think three would be a likely spot he could land, but I would love to get Evan Neal. Um, after that, uh, Ekim Ekwanu, I would love him as one. Charles Cross is another option. Or if we want to go past Rush, Kayvon Tibidex is another very good option. But for me... The number one dude that I want is Evan Neal, all right? From Alabama, offensive lineman, right tackle. Uh, he can. He's versatile because he played, I believe he played left tackle in his other two years. So on the case that Andrew Thomas gets injured like he did last year, they can slot him over to the left tackle position. Now, he won't be as great at left tackle because right tackle is his natural position but he can at least slide over and give you some help <coughs> and wait for Andrew Thomas to get back but Evan Neal is probably the most polished prospect in my mind when it comes to pass blocking and run blocking I think Ekamowoku is much better is better in the run blocking department they call him Mr. Pancake for a reason cuz he's just brutal but he doesn't but he's not as good in the passing game as Evan Neal is so I I like Evan Neal because he's more balanced in both categories and also he's very good <coughs> in a zone scheme in a zone scheme blocking and that's what I expect the Giants to run. Because Brian Dable liked to run a lot of zone offense in running schemes when he was in Buffalo. So I assume he's going to be bringing that policy to New York. So that's why I'd love to have Evan Neal in there, kind of make the most instant impact if he's gone by that, time, by that time. Ikwanu's an option. People have thrown out Charles Cross's name. Um, <clears throat> my only concern with Charles Cross is he, uh, he's a little slow off off step he tends to get beat uh, um he's a little slow off step he's he has a tough time uh, when it comes to reading the gaps when it comes to uh run blocking but he can certainly be he's definitely going to need a lot more development uh than the uh, um than the other two but I think he's the uh best third option because he also might have trouble fitting in with an NFL sort of zone scheme he might have problem with the power rushers coming at him and uh there's certainly a lot of power rushers in the NFL so and then, of course, you have Kayvon Tibidex, edge rusher, sort of has that somewhat game wrecker kind of feel to him. I would love to get him if possible. But again, for me, <clears throat> the Giants can only start to look at other positions once they've sorted out the offensive line. This offensive line needs help. Uh, I've now heard they it needs desperate help. Evan Neal, Equanu, Charles Cross, along with a couple guys like Andrew Thomas, they made some signings in free agency that can help at least shore up the offensive line so it's at least average. I think the Giants would hope for an average to at least below average offensive line, you know, because they're all the way near the bottom almost every single year. Uh, they need improvements in all areas on the O line, so O line is the number one priority. Get one of those three offensive linemen if not, and if they do that, then they can somewhat go out and explore and get someone like a free safety or a cornerback, or Kayvon Tibidex, a rusher. Just, just something to help. <laughs> the Giants really need a lot of help. Uh, I think anything will be an improvement. question is, as long as we don't do something stupid and take a cornerback with number five when there's offensive linemen on the board, that would be pretty annoying. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty simple. Offensive lineman first thing. Then you go out and explore. Let's move on. Debo Samuel. <clears throat> he wants out. He wants out of San Francisco. A uh, wrap. Uh, Rappaport has come out and said that it's not about the money now. He just wants out. He wants to be traded. He doesn't want the Niners to make an offer because he wants to be traded. Kind of surprising, but at the same time, sort of not surprising if that makes sense. Uh, Here's why. Listen, I mean, the main consensus is going around is that Debo Samuel is sick of the way he's being utilized. He doesn't want to be utilized as a hybrid running back option. He wants to be in... Uh, his, nat, his set position, which is a wide receiver. He wants to be in his position that he's trained in, which is a wide receiver. And I can't really blame him for that. All those idiots who are calling him a selfish diva. Now, has he had conversations with Kyle? If he went directly to Kyle Shanahan and said, hey, Kyle, I don't want to be in the backfield anymore, and Kyle kept putting him in the backfield, that's another issue. But we don't know that, I am maybe assuming. Now, if he didn't communicate with Kyle Shanahan, then that could be a different story. But, I mean, here's the thing. You have to look at why he doesn't want to be there. Number one, I mean, it's way... Longevity. It's way easier to get injured as a running back than it is a wide receiver. Okay? He, He had a groin issue. He missed one to two weeks the season before. He was banged up in and out, so he's had some injury problems. He doesn't want to aggravate those by going to have to play a hybrid role because not only are you putting your body through a lot when you're running routes as a wide receiver... He's also on top of that now, putting his body a lot when, uh putting his body through a lot when he's just running head first head first into D-line tackles. I mean, look at look at the NFC divisional game. I mean, he got injured halfway through, missed one to two weeks with a groin injury. So I can understand him. I mean, and also let's say he doesn't he plays one year with the uh 49ers, and then all of a sudden he gets hurt. And they put him in the backfield too much. He gets injured, and then all of a sudden no team wants to make him a huge money offer he's just a lot of he just lost a lot of money so so if you look at it from that aspect I mean yeah you can see why he's he's frustrated if he doesn't want to play uh if he doesn't want to play running back that that's fine with it. Now where would he be traded to? That's more interesting. Um there's a report coming out that it's Green Bay, Detroit and the Jets. Uh I would love I think Green Bay would be an awesome fit. I also think New England would be a really good fit for him. Uh, they've been screaming out for wide receiver help to help the young quarterback in Mac Jones. Uh, Green Bay, it kind of makes perfect sense. He would fit. I think he would fit well in the scheme. They've pretty much struck out on almost every wide receiver. They got Sammy Watkins, but they missed Juju Smith-Schuster, Allen Robinson. This receiver class is loaded with, with receiver help, but I don't know if it's going to have the uh, instant impact they need as they're going for a Super Bowl. You get in Debo Samuel, that would solve a lot of your problems. Give Aaron Rodgers a lot to work with and draw double teams. Then he can maybe hit some other open receivers who can't get open themselves. I li- like a Sammy Watkins. The only thing is, I don't know if San Francisco would be willing to trade him into a team in the NFC. That is the most sort of kind of the big caveat here because there's a very good chance that if they get back to the postseason, they're going to have to play the Green Bay Packers in the wild card or the divisional run, like they did last year. So would they trade him to a contending team like Green Bay when they're going to have to play them in the future? I don't know. Now, so that, so then you look at it that way, trading him to a team like Detroit and the Jets, who are still a, a long way away from contention, and are on the AFC, so you only meet them in the Super Bowl. That makes a lot more sense. But uh, Green Bay is probably going to make a huge push for him. But knowing Green Bay, they're probably going to strike out... Uh, <laughs> Because they've struck out on all other free agents, and again, like I just said, I don't see the 49ers doing what. Wi- I don't see the 49ers willing to give him within the division. Also, I don't know what the Green Bay Packers' money situation is. They were willing to offer Devontae Adams that big contract. Are they going to be willing to offer Deebo Samuel that big contract? But maybe, but maybe they are. I don't know. Aaron Rodgers' deal is a big, hefty one. What if Rodgers retires? Then, then it's a whole. It's a whole different stories so i don't know i really don't know i'm not gonna speculate uh it will probably find out more as it, we get closer to the draft which is this thursday maybe the deal goes down before the day before the draft or later t- um, it would be really annoying if this uh deal were to come out like later today after i've done this episode on it but um we'll uh We'll see. I mean, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Again, maybe, maybe they don't trade him till maybe they trade him on draft night or like the day before draft night, and use those to get picks with with a certain team. I don't know. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting. But yeah, it's a real tough blow for San Francisco because if they trade him and can't get back something in return that's worth his value, then I mean, can Brandon Ayuk be your number one wide receiver? I don't know, and again, I just don't know why Kyle Shanahan didn't play him at wide receiver more often. I mean, he's got such a good scheme that he honestly doesn't, that he can plug in most running backs in there, and they would succeed and run at a relatively high level to keep the offense afloat. So I just don't understand why he wanted to put Debo Samuel in there. Maybe because he fell in love with it or didn't want him out of wide receiver. I have no idea, but yeah, this is a just a misfortune for the San Francisco 49ers because they're probably losing an unbelievable talent in a... Uh, in Debo, but he's not. He's not happy there, and you know maybe they could have made the contract offer, you know, before the season started or halfway through the season. And all of a sudden, you know, his decision becomes a lot harder as now he maybe is looking at a 20-plus million dollar contract. He's debating whether to take that or leave. So it could have made. I don't whether it would have changed the decision-making process. I don't know, but it certainly would have helped strengthen San Francisco, the 49ers' case for um, as far as the money aspect goes. All right, let's move on. Uh, we're kind of flying through this, but um, let's talk NBA playoffs, which I think would be the is going to be the bulk of the episode. So I've got every series where every series is lined up, and we're gonna break down sort of what's happening in each. We're going to go from the series that are least interesting to the most interesting. So let's start with the Raptors and the Sixers. Uh, game four is tonight. Uh, this afternoon, probably actually just started. Um. I mean, I don't have much to say on this one. I think I don't know what the situation with Joel Embiid is. I think he he will actually. I'm going to check if Joel Embiid is playing. Uh, the last report I saw said that he was playing, even though there's now significant growing concern with that um with that finger injury. Yeah, of course he is he is playing. They they just started, but regardless of his finger or not his finger, I said the series would be Philly in six. It's looking like. It'll be Philly in four or five. Um, again, maybe the Raptors can avoid the sweep tonight because they're or this afternoon because they're in, they're at home. But uh, Joel Embiid has really showed up and balled this series. Uh, he, uh, you know, after them, after Toronto really dominated the season series, beating him three to one and defending him well. Embiid has done a good job drawing fouls, getting to the free throw line. Also, um, he's made some really tough shots in the clutch. That that three pointer in Game Three was unbelievable. So they've done a great job. But I do think in order to get further in the postseason, James Harden is going to have to play better. He can't be fouling out of games, struggling to shoot. He has got to, uh, He can't be fouling out of games. He's got to raise his level if they want to go further in the postseason. But for now, I think this series is done and dusted. Uh, same thing with this next series, Nuggets uh, Warriors. The Nuggets in this series were just too overmatched. Nikola Jokic was not going to be enough to carry them. Uh... Even though he's probably going to get swept out of the first round, I still think Jokic is the MVP because regular season has nothing, postseason has nothing to do with the MVP award. It's all about regular season. And also, you can make the argument, even though he's got the sixth seed, he has had to do way more than Embiid because his two best players, Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray, have been pretty much hurt the entire season. And he has still managed to get them to 40-plus wins and a sixth seed in the postseason. So I think it'll be back-to-back MVPs for Nikola Jokic, but the Nuggets look for bigger and better things once their two stars come back. If they can get Jamal Amari back and he's playing like he did before he got hurt and Michael Porter Jr. can evolve into the player, at least some people think he is capable of being, then that Nuggets team is going to be really dangerous and it's just going to be another difficult team to deal with in an already loaded uh, Western Conference. But for now, those series, in my opinion, are like the two least interesting So, or the ones that probably we'll see ending in sweeps. The only series I actually originally had ending in a sweep was the Bucks and the Bulls series. And that has been far from the case as the as the Bucks lead that series 2-1. We'll get into that uh, more later. But yeah, uh, <laughs> these series I thought would be a little closer. I think both and them, uh, I said, would go to six. But that is not the case. So I think we can chalk the Warriors and the 76ers in the next round. Okay. Let's now talk about the series that are sitting at two to one. So we've got the, uh, or pretty much four series sitting at two games to one. We've got the Heat leading the Hawks two to one, but Bucks, lead, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks leading the Bulls two to one, and the Pelican, the Suns leading the Pelicans two to one, and the Mavericks leading the Jazz two to the two one. So let's start with the two games from last night. So let's start with the Hawks and the Heat. Um, Brilliant rally from Trey Young and the Hawks because it looked like after Miami went on that 21 0 run or like crazy run like that, that this game was over. Trey Young did an excellent job, finally came to life in the fourth quarter. I'm still going to back Miami. I think Miami can get this done in six. I, I think it said it would be six as well. I'm going to stick with my original prediction there. All Miami really has to do is steal one in Atlanta because Atlanta has been really good at home this year. I think there's something like they've only lost like four or five games at home this year. But they've struggled on the road. So the thing is, the problem of that in the postseason is when you're the lower seed, you have to try and find a way to win on the road because if you just win all your home games, you're still going to lose the series four to three because the Heat are going to get that extra home game. So Miami has so at, the pressure is really on Atlanta to try and steal one in Miami because. But if I feel like the Heat steal, you know, the next game, Game Four in Atlanta, I think that series three one. Then Miami having two home games, it would be really tough to see the um, to see the Hawks coming through and win. Also, we have to talk about Kyle Lowry did leave the game early with an injury. His status for Game Four is up in the air, but I assume he will be ready for Game Five. So again, Game Four is going to be a big opportunity. But the the problem is, it's it's when when you have a great coach like Eric Spoelstra, he knows how to game plan for. Games without their big stars. The Heat have had some, uh, some games where they haven't had their big stars play, but a coach like Spolstra is able to draw up a game plan that is still good enough for a team to win, even when they don't have a player like Kyle Lowry. Now, they can't do that when the player gets hurt midway through the game. It's extremely tough to, it's extremely tough to do that. So that's why you see, you know, when a player gets hurt halfway through the game, the team starts to struggle because then the game plan has to change on the fly. But now that Spo has a couple days to adjust, I think they're going to be okay and find a way through the series. Very similar to what I said in the Suns and the uh, Pelican series, which I'll again talk about in a little bit, when when, uh, Devin Booker went down with the injury. So I'm still going to stick with my guns here in the heat. But like I said, Atlanta is no typical six seed. All right. This team just came off the conference finals last year. You've got a guy who's proven he can play in hostile environments and perform in the big moments in Trey Young. You've got shooters all around with Kevin Herter and Bogdanovich. You've got your 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 a physical guy down low with insane athleticism in John Collins. So it's it's a very good team. It is a very good team. Definitely not an eighth seed worthy team. They they've had some injuries down, but they did a good job getting through the playing game, surviving that, and now they're here. But I still think the depth of Miami with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and um and Tyler Hero coming off the bench is going to be enough to get this done. But again, very interesting series here. All right, now the next one. Stick, stick in the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee Bucks and Chicago Bulls. Uh, it's already official they're going to be out. The Bucks are going to be without Middleton for the rest of the series. So it's the the, the team that the Bucks got right now. They're not going to get any help. Uh, I don't think Chris Middleton, you know, that that's the team they've got for at least this series. But... I was going to say, oh man, that's surprising, You know, I mean, or oh man, this could be extremely interesting, and it still obviously can be interesting, but then if you look at last night, the Bulls get blown off the court, lose by 30, the Bucs hold them to 81 points, and another thing I liked about the Bucs is Giannis Kumpo in these three games hasn't really gone super crazy. He hasn't gone for a 40-plus, 30-plus point game. He's had 28, you know, last night he only had 18, he took 12 shots, but... You look at the depth, Pat, uh, Pat um, Grayson Allen gave him 20. Cheap shot Allen gave him 22 off the bench. Pat, Pat Connington gave him 11 off the bench. 33 bench points in a postseason game. That's pretty good. You combine that with they put three of their five starters in double-digit points. Drew Holiday, I think, had 18. Bobby Portis had 18. Giannis Kumpo had 19. And you play good defense. That's enough to win a game in the first round of the series. Can the, that's a series. That's that's good enough. So I think just because the Bucks have the experience... And they've got those big guys down low who can who can grab boards, get extra shots. I think they're going to be fine. And this Chicago Bulls team, again, it's the first year of this core. They're relatively new. They haven't played in the postseason for a while. It's going to be tough for them to get this done. And the main reason is also I don't think they can play consistent enough defense to stop this Milwaukee Bucks team. I think the Bucks can play consistent enough defense to limit tough, tough make it really tough on guys like DeMar DeRozan to shoot and, and make buckets down the stretch, but I just don't feel like the Bulls can reciprocate that for the Bucks. That's why I've still got the Bucks pulling this out. This is not going to be a sweep like I thought it would be. But again, I think if the Bucks I think the Bucks will probably win game win game 4 and maybe they'll win the series in 6, but maybe 5. I don't know. But I've still got Milwaukee pulling through here. Okay. Next one, Pelicans and the Suns. So the Suns survived last night Pelicans had a lead late, but Chris Paul pretty much took over. And um, this is what I was saying. Monty Williams found adjustments and other guys stepped up now that they're not going to have Devin Booker. They're not going to have him for game four. I don't know if they're going to have him for the rest of the series, but I think Chris Paul's leadership is going to be enough. DeAndre Ayton, people forget about how good he is because we get lost in the sauce with Devin Booker and CP3. Ayton is still there. He's still a monster on the boards. He, he is still a monster on the boards and can give you 30 and not... And he when he's motivated, he can give you an efficient 30 like he did last night. And Chris Paul's leadership. Chris Paul... If you look at that game down the stretch, Chris Paul just said, all right, everyone, get the hell out of the way. It's time for me to take over. He's so crafty. He knows how to get what he wants where he wants it. He knows how to get the matchup and he knows how he gets to that elbow jumper and that mid-range jumper that's falling away from the top of the key that's unstoppable that you... That you just have to hope he misses because he's so locked in on the mid-range. He knows how to do all that. Also, 15 assists last night, zero turnovers. That'll help you a lot. If you can't if, if you give the Pelicans Pelicans turnovers and you can let them run and gun with guys like CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram who can make big shots, then you can find yourself in trouble. But I all in all the Suns depth is going to be enough. I definitely do think the Pelicans t- can take another game. But I have the Phoenix Suns going through again. I don't see any upsets. Coming from these series, all right. Next two-one series, the last two-one series, or sorry, there's another two-one series, Memphis as well. We're gonna talk about that. But first, let's talk Jazz Mavericks. Oh boy, oh boy, are the Utah Jazz in some serious trouble? Down two games to one. With Luka Doncic has not touched the floor, and he's there's growing optimism that he's going to play later today, but it'll be on a minutes restriction. But here's the thing, he's on a minutes restriction. It doesn't matter. They have the Jat the the Mavs have now won two games without Luka Doncic. They've let J- the Jazz have let Jalen Brunson go absolutely insane. Their role players have stepped up. Maxi Kleba came a big in the game, too. Um it's the same story with the Utah Jazz every single season. This team on paper is supposed to be should be so much better than they're actually playing. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, uh, Mike Conley, you know, Jordan Clarkson off the bench. They should be so much better than what they're playing in, and I don't know what the hell has happened to Rudy Gobert. He is being out physical by Maxi Kleba. He is just not... uh, Do they need to bench Gobert, honestly? I mean, I don't know. Quinn Snyder's probably going to get the can if they lose this series. Really, the only one who has come come to play this series is Donovan Mitchell. Royce O'Neal hit the big shot in Game 1, but besides that... It's pretty much been all, all Donovan Mitchell. He's been the only one that has come to play. And that's been the case for him in his entire postseason, if you look at it. Even in the bubble series, I look back at that Game 7, he was the only one that came to play. Everyone else kind of shit the bed. And that's happening again. And I don't know what to do. I mean, I don't know what, why people are surprised. The Utah Jazz do this every year. They had the series tied 2-2 two to two against the Clippers. No Kawhi Leonard, no Paul George. They lose both games 5 and 6 or no, sorry, no Kawhi Leonard at least, and they lose games five and six because they let Tr- uh, Terrence Mann go for 35 points in game six, and they completely capitulate and blow a huge double-digit lead in that game. And if you look at it even in the regular season, the reason I picked the Mavs to win this series is they were just bl- they just blew so many leads. They blew a 20-plus lead to Golden State without Steph Curry, and they've just blown so many double-digit leads. I don't know what to think. Uh, for a guy that supposedly should be in the defensive year of the cat, uh a former defensive player of the three-time defensive player of the year Rudy Gobert, he looks pretty shit. Not gonna lie, he needs to figure it out his acts. Someone besides Donovan Mitchell needs to step up, or this series could really be over in five games. Like, um, um they have to win tonight. Tonight's a must-win, especially with Luca probably going to be on a full playing schedule in Game Five and going forward. It's going to be tough for them being down three-one and Luca coming back to win three consecutive games. I don't think they can do it, but. Classic Utah Jazz, eh? Speaking of capitulation and collapse, let's talk about the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves. I think last night was the end of the series. I know people are saying, whoa, 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 it's only 2-1, but how the hell do the Timberwolves, how in the world do you blow a 26-point lead and a 23-point lead in the same game? How does that happen? You had a 26 point lead. Grizzly cut it down all the way to 6 at halftime. You get back up by like 23 or 24 points. Like at the near the end of the third quarter and in the fourth quarter, you get and you lo- not only do you lose. You lose the game on your home floor by 9. It's not even close in the end. And you get outscored in the fourth quarter 37 to 12. You score thir- 12 points in the second quarter and the fourth quarter. 71 points the other two quarters combined. 24 in the third and the in the second and the fourth quarter. How does that happen? Do you know how? Like full credit to the Memphis Grizzlies. They're an extremely deep team. They did it when John Morant wasn't even playing well. John Morant had a really bad game. That triple double is like an inefficient triple double because he shot five of 18, had seven turnovers to go along with his 10 assists. So it wasn't even like an efficient triple double. He just didn't play well, but everyone else came to play, and that shows you. They didn't, they even benched Steven Adams, and they were able to get it done. That just shows you how deep memphis runs they need to play better john needs to play better if they want to go further because the warriors have the bench to match them but we're not talking about that right now but let's talk about the timberwolves bruh. i carl I, anthony towns my what was that carl anthony towns went three of four in the game he took four shots you were the right now probably the best player on this team we can make the argument and here's the thing if Carl Anthony Towns can't get going early, he's just a no-show for the entirety of the game. Like He doesn't know how to turn it on for a quarter. He has to get it to a good start to play. And how long has he been in the league? You'd think he'd learn how to do it. He is a fake tough guy. All right, he has tremendous talent, 7 footer, won the three-point contest, can shoot the ball, put it on the deck, put it on the deck, run you over, overpower you at the rim, give you hell when he has that fire, but he rarely shows you that fire. I don't know what the deal is with it. He needs to play better. And then his post-game press conference is really eek me. Oh, I need to go drink some wine and forget about it. How about you take some freaking accountability? Yeah, I got to do better than only taking four shots instead of saying, oh, I got to drink some wine. You're not LeBron James. LeBron James has earned the right to say that because the dude is the second best greatest player in NBA history. You've just been to like three all-star teams and you've pretty much underperformed considering how talented of a player you are. So you need to man up. T-Wolves, Patrick Beverly, you talking that shit? Oh, he's too small, he's too small. Throwing up those bricks in the fourth quarter like you always do. You can play well on defense, but you can't shoot the ball in the clutch. Three-pointer, brick. Brick, brick, brick. I think he went like two of eight in the fourth quarter or something like that. They're hot and cold with the three. You know, Anthony Edwards is a great player. Doesn't have the consistent enough three right now. They're in trouble after blowing that lead. We're going to see if they can bounce back. Memphis has got to play better, but I think they've got this series... On lock because of it. Because of what happened in that uh, in that game three. That was one of the worst capitulate blown leads I've seen in a while. <laughs> I mean, two, two 20 plus point leads, you let slip twice in the same game. That just shows you how bad you have to play to lose. Oh my God. All right. Last series, Nets are down 2 0 to Celtics. Game three is tonight. I think the Nets are going to win tonight because I think Katie is going to bounce back. But Man, oh, man, we got to give a lot of credit to the Boston Celtics. They have played an unbelievable series, okay? Their defense is legit. People who are saying, oh, their defense only translates because the regular season is teams don't go that hard. Oh, no, no, no. They're the real deal. Ime Adoku, what a job he has done with the Boston Celtics. I have never seen Kevin Durant look this rattled and play this bad in my 8 in. Ever since I've been alive, I'm granted only 18, but still, I think those are one of the worst two games he's played back-to-back in his career. Game one, he shot like 9 of 24, but I was thinking, oh, okay, you know, he shot 9 of 24, that's probably not going to happen again. Kyrie went crazy in the first quarter, let's look forward to game two. They get up by 15 points in game two, but shoots 4 of 17, has 6 turnovers, and the only reason he is able to score 27 points is he goes 18 of 20 from the free-throw line. So, and the fact that he missed two, the two free throws he missed came in one set. There was one set where he missed free throw, he got fouled, and he missed both free throws. That's a little surprising too, considering how normally good of a three point uh, free throw shooter he is. Normally he'll go twenty for twenty. To see him miss two is kind of kind of weird itself. But um, and listen, there's could was there a lot of shots that he missed that he could have made? Yeah, I've seen a couple of those step back elbow jumpers that he can make in his sleep that he's missed. Also, that last shot in Game 1, we've seen him make a difficult shot like that, but Kyrie Irving also didn't play well in Game 2, shot 4 of 13, but I think we have to give more credit to the Boston Celtics. They've got up in Kevin Durant's face. They've been physical with him. They haven't fell for his pump fakes. They stay home on the pump fakes, put him in late-game shot clock bad situations towards he has to force a tough shot up, and They've been disciplined with it I mean yeah they got they had 28,000 but that's because the referees were calling the game pretty soft compared to game one so they've done a really good job we have to give them a lot of credit I think KD can figure it out but it's going to be really tough to beat this Celtics team now that they've won both at home they're they're 40 and one when they win go up 2-0. it's going to be tough um Kyrie has not done himself any favors by you know flipping off the Boston crowd stamping on the logo because you just lost both two at home but I think they can prevail and win game three. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. And the thing is, I've been hearing from Nets fans is, well, we'll, we'll be better when Ben Simmons comes back. And the argument for that is, yes, I guess because he can take Jason Tatum, so Kevin Durant has a little more le- steam left in the legs. But the only thing is, the, in Game 2, defense wasn't their problem. Offense was. They couldn't get a good shot. They were pretty much out of sorts for the entirety of the fourth quarter, even the shots that they made. It, they had to get lucky bounces, and uh, they had to get lucky bounces and um, lucky deflections to get open shots. Ben Simmons is not going to help that. Could he maybe help with spacing? I, I don't know, but when you put an offensive deficient player into a, a offense that was extremely ineffective in the fourth quarter, it's not going to help. I mean, their defense hadn't been wasn't the problem. Now, he'll help with the defense because, again, maybe he can limit Tatum, but Tatum didn't even play that well in game two. He had a really bad game. He hit the dagger three. But up to that, he had a really bad game. Jalen Brown also struggled. It was the Boston role players that stepped up. So, I don't know. This is going to be a really tall order for the Nets to, to get by that defense. Uh, credit Ime doku I, I mean, remember, he was one of the assistants last year for Steve Nash, and maybe he has their number. Maybe he knows what scheme, what scheme defensively to run. And um, also, Steve Nash is probably on the hot seat for this. Okay, how he didn't burn his time how he didn't use his timeouts to break up the momentum, you know, and I just feel like this Nets experiment needed a veteran coach. You know, when they even though when they first acquired Harden, I was like, okay, they probably need a veteran coach to sort out the chemistry. And then when they traded Harden for Ben Simmons and they we knew Ben Simmons wasn't gonna play, and this chemistry was gonna be off, and it was gonna be tough integrating him into the offensive system when Kevin Durant get down and you need coaching to come up to design a good scheme. So you can at least hold down the fort when we get there. That's where I feel like they could have really used a veteran coach. Instead, they decided to go with a former player who who's good, who's brilliant in his prime, a former player, but he had no head coaching experience. So they really, I, I feel like someone like a Mike D'Antoni would have been a lot better just because he has veteran presence and he's been in these big playoff games where Steve Nash is relatively new to this. He was only there last year. So... I just felt like this experiment would have been a lot easier and a lot better, and they could have been in a much better situation if they didn't have that 10-game losing streak if they had hired a coach with some experience up to that point. Because if they didn't have that 10-game losing streak, they wouldn't have had to play accelerated minutes to get through the play-in game, and you wouldn't find yourself playing Boston in the first round. If they had gone up against a team like, I don't know, maybe Tor- maybe if they found themselves playing Philadelphia or Toronto, I'd maybe make make their chances better and again the chemistry would have been a lot better but again i thought a veteran coach was needed in this situation so anyway that is going to do it for uh for this week's episode thank you guys so much for listening hopefully i can post this because it doesn't get uh this doesn't get corrupted but yeah thank you guys for listening and i will hopefully record again next week